The comments are a big factor, and uh, I'm seeing all kinds of comments here, but uh, Don's telling me that you're not, and we've had this problem yesterday as well. I'm not sure why um, that is happening. Um, oh, so Walter's saying he's seeing... Don's comment. Are you guys seeing comments? Don Don's messaging saying he's not seeing comments. So uh, anyway, because comments are a big factor with with us in communicating. First, Laura's saying cannot see all of them, just some. Uh, okay. Well, it's it's interesting. Um, 
There's another dialog box that the program I use has been uh, opening up here um, in what is called the chat feature. Fran saying the same. Claire saying she's seeing them. I'm seeing some, but not Walter's. Walter is on YouTube. That is why you're not seeing his comments there. So something has changed in this program that I'll need to figure out. Uh, I made a change this morning to how I did what I did, uh, but perhaps that wasn't the correct course of action. It seemed to be. Yeah, not much to do about uh, cyber issues and, and no sense in crying about it when we, in fact, can jump in here and uh, uh, get into the scriptures. I'm going to just check one more thing while we talk. We're going to be in John chapter 13. Now, Anthony over in Western Pennsylvania is saying he's seeing comments, so very interesting what is going on there. And uh, Okay, you might hear a little bit of a change in the audio here because uh, I just made one adjustment uh, there, and uh, that, that should be good. That's the best we're going to do for this morning, folks. I can't fix the comments. Uh, what's going on there? I'll have to research a little bit more and see what's happening. We're in John chapter 13, so I'm going to take us in there. Uh, uh, I'm going to take us in there, and I'm uh, Priscilla, I'm not sure if I did because I was starting to get messages about not seeing comments. So if I didn't say good morning, Priscilla, my apologies to you. Yeah, that's about the point. I see your comment there. It's about the point I'm getting messages about not seeing comments. But anyway, we can move on, and I can read your comments so other people can hear them. There is a lot of teaching in this section, so I, I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, uh, Jesus has just sent, uh, on this day, he sent the disciples out to get um, the donkey, uh, and uh, to bring the donkey back, uh, that happened. Uh, he's ridden into town. We know he had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday was a more quiet day. Tuesday he was in the temple area quite confronted with the, uh, and turning over the tables and whatnot on uh, Tuesday. Monday teaching and some confrontations there. Now on this Thursday, he has sent them uh, to uh, prepare the upper room, what we call the upper room, for the upper room discourse. And they have readied the room, and now they are in this room, in this place, and we pick up in John 13. John 13 to John 17, this is where you read. I mean, none of the other uh, gospel writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, get into the detail that Jesus about what Jesus said while in the upper room. John does. I mean, John is, is, is sitting right there next to Jesus, uh, holding on to absolutely every single word, and John has captured many of those words and actions here in John 13 through 17. So let me get us in there. Uh, it says this, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love, and the, the full extent being the cross. The evening meal was being served, and the devil 
had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, Do you not realize what I am doing? Uh, you do not now realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Jesus is basically saying, Look, I mean, you have you have to go along with me in what I am doing, and, and there is something significant in in that statement. I'll, I'll come back to it. I hope uh, there's more to teach here than I can teach this morning. Um, then uh, verse nine. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. He doesn't say not all of you, not speaking of, of Peter's entire body. He's speaking about not all of you, meaning there's one among them who we know is Judas Iscariot. Uh, for, in verse 11 says, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me, and I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me meaning the Father. Uh, so the foot washing takes place here in at this juncture. Jesus washes their feet. Now, uh, some would think that Jesus is saying, giving a command that we should also uh, do this. In verse 15, he said, I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. And so some traditions, and I'm not sure if the Quakers, I, I don't remember if I, I think I asked the question yesterday, but I don't know. If we answered the question, I don't know if it's a Quaker practice to do foot washings. I was in the Church of God, the Anderson branch, the Church of God, after I became a Christian at age 15. And foot washing, though I don't know, it was considered an ordinance of the church as our baptism and communion. Uh, foot, foot washing is something that we did practice Typically, on Mon Monday, Thursday, before Easter, we'd get together, we'd have communion, we'd wash feet, we would sing, and we'd worship together. But Jesus is not saying that you have to do the foot washings, in, in my estimation. What I'm seeing him say here is that you need to learn to serve one another. Um, because verse 16, he says these words, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
the idea of being that servant in that type of a way. Um, they should have washed his feet. Uh, but he got down on his knees and he washed their feet. Now, uh, being on the dusty roads of South Sudan uh, and seeing what was all uh, on those roads, um, you know, their feet were dirty. Their feet were dirty with dust. The, the, uh, the residue of animal uh, outpour, uh, the exhaust of the animals versus the exhaust of the cars, the exhaust of the animals perhaps in, in some of the streets and so, I mean, their feet were dirty with, with dust and, and caca and, and other things of that nature. Not that they necessarily walked right through it, but as it dried, it was just part of the pavement. Uh, he washed their feet. And, and this is the example that he's giving of servanthood. And, and that's the lesson I, I want to draw out of this part is, is simply the, the lesson of servanthood. Um, not so much the, the idea that the lesson of uh, you know, we need to do foot washings. I mean, that that's a great act. It, it, it's a symbolic act. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But what he's really trying to drive home here is the need of uh, being a servant as Jesus was a servant. Now, again, there's way more in these these chapters than I can really totally get into. Um, saying good morning to Jane here as well. Um so I'm not going to cover every nook and cranny. I'm not going verse by verse through this. I mean, there there is the, the question of, of you know uh, those who are chosen. Verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen. I mean, that is that 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 is a long lasting um, discussion among theologians for millennia. Actually, the idea of chosenness. What we do know is that uh, Judas is the one who was set apart for destruction because he would uh, not only deny but actually betray Christ. So, and Walter making this comment, amazing that he also washed the feet of the one that would betray him. Yeah, I mean, and, and there, there's something about that about the love of Christ that uh, uh, I mean, he didn't. He didn't just uh, say, well, no, you're going to betray me, so no, you're off limits. I mean, that what we can learn from that, uh, Walter and others, that, that is an absolutely astounding statement about, you know, betraying uh, betraying us and yet to wash their feet as, as what... Uh, what Jesus did, uh, what does that say about us? Um, so and Claire talking about flip-flops in the Philippines. Before we come into the house, we move our flip-flops. We usually wash our feet outside before we come into the house. So, uh, okay. Well, let me move on a little further here in the text uh, as we're going. Uh, the next section, which I'm just going to reference, um, verses 21 through 30. This is where we see the betrayal of uh, of Judas. Uh, after he said this, Jesus was troubled. The Spirit testified, tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. 
Uh, verse 26, Jesus answers, the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And I've often thought that, I mean, he's he dips the bread and, and looks at Judas and passes it to Judas. And then dipping the piece of bread, and that, that's a communion practice, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Uh, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. What are you about what are you about to do? Do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one understandeth the meal uh, why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast. To go get the uh, the Seder meats and herbs and apples and things that would be needed, but that wasn't at all what he was saying. I don't want to linger on that. I mean, there's the idea of betrayal, that we would betray Jesus. May that not be us. Uh, but there's also the lesson about how they, what they did with the bread in terms of dipping the bread. Uh, and perhaps tonight, there were three locations tonight. There could be four. I haven't heard about the fourth, but I do know about three. Uh, at the parsonage across from Vrasty Chapel, where Jacob and Courtney live, at 630 uh, at my house here uh, on Belmont Avenue, basically the corner of Route 131 and Route 3, uh, and at Dave and Daylene Sheldon's home out in Brooks, uh, if you drive up to Fairhaven Camp, and instead of turning down into camp, you go straight to the Big Red House. Uh, they're also holding one. It's communion uh, and scripture reading and prayer together. There's that opportunity. I do want to push us into the next section here in John 13 of the new commandment. Uh, I'm trying to focus more on the teaching aspects here uh, than, than necessarily on the actions of other people. John 13, 31 through 35, when he was gone, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once, immediately. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Now, he knows tomorrow, Friday, he will be crucified. He says, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now why I'm going, you cannot come. He was perhaps going to go preach to the spirits in prison uh, during those few days. And then because we know he had not yet gone to the father because at the resurrection, when Mary saw him, do not touch me. I've not yet gone to the father. So we know he had not gone there yet, but gone to preach the spirits in prison. Then he says this verse 34 and 35. And these are verses for every Christian to know a new command. I give you Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know you're my disciples by your love for one another. You know, we, we can accomplish all kinds of ministry things. We, we can build big churches. Um, we can uh, advance all kinds of ministries in the flesh. Uh, but Jesus has the standard of the command of love. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We are called to love one another. He is not going to evaluate necessarily our program. Uh, he is not going to necessarily evaluate our project. Uh, he, he may, but we do know the grid, the filter, the screen, the lens through which he looks is the lens of love. 
the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 would say, if I do all kinds of great things for God, this is a paraphrase, if I do all kinds of great things for God but have not love, then I am really nothing. I am just a loud, clanging, banging symbol. That's all I am. As Jesus underscores the necessity of operating in love for one another, the Apostle Paul uh, does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13. We are told to love as Jesus loves us. You get over into John chapter 15, and Jesus says that there's no greater love that a man have for, uh, for his friends than he lay down his life for his friends. Now, again, there's more about Peter here in John 13. I'm going to jump into chapter 14. Um, Again, the teaching, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I mean, there's all kinds of things in this life that that can cause us struggle, that can cause us trouble, that can cause us heartache. And Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled, but rather trust in God and trust in me. Um, it's what we're called to do. You're, you're facing a time of anxiety. Jesus says to you, John 14, verse 1, trust in God, trust in me. Now, again, the context here is he knows that uh, the next day, by by this very hour the next day, this is now taking place Thursday evening, and he knows by Friday evening he will be out of the scene and by Friday evening put into the tomb. It's in that context he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. They have followed him for three years. They have um, walked away from business. They have walked away from, from uh, being tax collectors. They've walked away from fishing. They've walked away from other things. They have traveled with him for three years. Uh, they, have, they have given their hearts to him for three years. And now, uh, in view of him leaving them through death, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So if he's saying that to them at such a monumental time, uh, what would he be saying to us in the troubles that we go through? You know, uh, I've talked about a suitcase. I mean, that, that's, that's small, uh, small troubles compared to the trouble of what they're facing. Some of you are going through incredible troubles right now, incredible difficulties. The words of Jesus are the same to you today as they were to the disciples that evening. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He continues and says these words, familiar words, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place, I'll come back to take you to be with me. That where I Where I am, you also will be. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, we don't come to eternal life through uh, Hindu practices. We do not come to uh, eternal life through Muslim practices. We do not come to eternal life by our good works and our... Uh, altruistic giving, uh, our philanthropic giving. No, we get to heaven. We get to this place by faith in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life alone. That is the only way. So Jesus underscores this teaching that, that he is the only way. 
sometimes people tell us as Christians, well, you know, you Christians are, are terribly, uh, you know, limiting and, and you're terribly narrow. Well, he's the one that said it. Jesus is the one who said it. We didn't, we're not the ones saying he's the only way. He's the one that said he is the only way and we will stand on his truth. Uh, down at verse 10. A little bit more teaching, and we'll, we'll cover what we can cover this morning, and, and that's all we'll do. Verse 10, he says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Oops, I didn't put it on the screen where you can see it. There we go. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather... It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. I mean, he provides evidence that should lead to the conclusion that he and the Father are one. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Um I have shifted some of my own personal thinking and thoughts from uh, multiplication. Uh, I mean, a lot we do a lot of addition in churches, but I have shifted uh, in my reading and study lately to to things like this uh, movement catalysts: how to get from addition to multiplication to actually creating movements of multiplication. Um, so this this is a book I'm reading right now and giving some of my research to that thought and it's a shift for me uh to to think in, in, a, in a different paradigm uh, in, in the jesus way actually uh we we tend to think in the church way not necessarily the jesus way and jesus came and he said these words to us uh, Verse 12, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You heard me talk about or maybe saw a post I made about uh, Shankar uh, in India. I didn't share his name, but uh, I sat with him at breakfast in Ephesus, the Ephesus area, uh, and we were talking about um, the vision eight years ago, and within eight years to have raised a thousand pastors who have raised 15,000 house churches who have reached probably between 125 to 150,000 people. Those are the greater things that, uh, that we can do, and, and we need to be shaken out of, out of our, our limited ways of doing things. There are bigger ways and better ways, and some places in America we see this happening and I believe the Lord is wanting us to wake up and to realize we need to do things differently. That, that's why I am going some of a different direction in my own life uh, in terms of, of focus because it's the call of God. It's the way of Jesus. It, it is the application of John 14, 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. And then verse 13 and 14, the promises I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Oftentimes we spend our time praying for, for things that maybe aren't strategic. But what if we were praying about strategic issues, strategic initiatives, people's salvation, the, the, the work of Christ through 
through uh, church ministries, through camp ministries, through neighborhood house ministries, through CEF ministries, through missions ministries? What if we were praying on those fronts? What bigger things may happen? Verse 14, he says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Well, I, I will tell you this. I don't have time to to push into all of what is remains in this chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. One of the significant things that I'm just going to reference here, uh, which comes in John 14, and you can read more about it in John 15 and John 16, is, as you can see at the top of the screen, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let me just look at these couple verses it says, if you love me, you obey what I command. I will ask the Father. He'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The idea that he is with us forever doesn't come, doesn't go, all of those things. He is a counselor to, to guide us in truth. Uh, it says he will be with us. Uh, and, and let me just read verse 17. He's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I mean, I think this is some of the other substantial, very substantial teaching given by Jesus in these verses to understand he is going off the scene. He will eventually ascend to the Father some 40 days after his resurrection and 10 days later is the, the Pentecost. Uh, but he will go to the Father, but the Holy Spirit comes to us. Friends, in this section, I mean, there's so much I, I, I could spend probably months just in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. There is so much here uh, about uh, living the Christian life. I mean, this this really encapsulates Christian living in these verses and to learn to live life in the Spirit. Uh, Jesus talks about it in, in these passages because there are some people, when you say live life in the Spirit, think, oh, you're talking all charismatic. Uh, no, I'm talking Bible, friend. Uh, how well do you know your Bible to understand that John 14, 15, 16, Jesus talks about these things uh, so abundantly clearly in the clear teaching that the Apostle Paul gives in uh, uh, especially the book of Ephesians uh, about the, the workings of the Spirit. Uh, and we need to understand the significance of what Jesus was giving them. Yeah, he's going off the scene, but the Holy Spirit was going to come live in the believer, and we would have the opportunity to do many, many, many other great things um, in him, for him, all for the glory of God, not for our own personal glory. Uh, I, I would encourage you. Uh, it would be a great day to spend, if you have some time, just reading through these, these chapters. John 15, another highlight piece uh, in the especially the first eight verses, probably maybe down to the first 16 verses, he talks about remaining in him that we might bear fruit. Uh, if we're going to bear fruit, we have to keep living life in Jesus. That is the only way we're going to. That's another very, very significant piece. Uh, in this section, he talks about the world hating us because it hated him in John 15, John 16. He gets more into the work of the Holy Spirit and, and what the Holy Spirit's role and work is. He, he talks about our sorrow uh, will be turned to joy, sorrow that they would experience uh, at the crucifixion, at the time of the resurrection, they would their sorrow would turn to joy.
verse 16, uh, verse 22, chapter 16, he says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I'll tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Promises of answered prayer. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. I've overcome the world. The promise he gives here in these last few verses of chapter 16. And then in chapter 17, while he's still with them, he prays in front of them this great high priestly prayer and a, a major focus of his high priestly prayer in in John 17 is that we as believers would be one. This is loaded. I mean, they, they, they probably spent several hours, two or three hours, maybe, maybe even more, uh, reclining at the table, supping together, Jesus teaching them. And, and, and this is some of this teaching, that this final teaching he would give to them right before his betrayal and uh, right before he's turned over uh, to the, the religious leaders and the trials begin uh, leading to his crucifixion. Upper room discourse taking place on that Thursday night uh, prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. So much to learn here. Uh, tonight, uh, it will go further uh, at the communion, uh, times of communion in homes at Jacob's home, at our home, and in Dave and Daylene Sheldon's home out in Brooks. Um, as we read passages of Scripture that, that speak about the, the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus, that's what will take place tonight. And uh, I hope that you can be a part of that. If you can't, uh, maybe you would get out some of your own bread and your own juice and have a private communion in your home with your own family. Um, but so much in this Holy Week to consider, so much for which to worship our Savior. Well, friends, I've lingered a little bit long this morning. I'm going to stop there for now. Uh, it's my prayer for you that you would just draw close to Jesus this day and that we would be able to free up some time in our busy, busy lives during Holy Week to, to, to spend a little extra time in worship, reflection, reading, and in prayer. Lord, help us today to glorify you Help us to contemplate you and to draw near to you. Help us today to know your love, to know your joy, and to know your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. Maybe I'll see you tonight. If not, we'll see you again tomorrow morning. Good Friday.